Welcome, everyone, to the first day of the two-week program that we have dubbed YachtCon Back to School. Over the course of the next two weeks, you're going to have the opportunity to learn to properly appreciate a bottle of wine, the finer points of creating cocktails, becoming a better artist, embarking on a mystical journey through the South Sound, and what makes a proper pizza. You also get the opportunity to learn more about some of your favorite Seattle soccer personalities, the first of whom you're going to meet tonight. Uh, if you're new to YachtCon, here's a quick synopsis. Back in 2015, we wanted to celebrate Nos Adiatis' 200th podcast episode. One thing led to another, and we decided not only to do a live version of the podcast, but to give a totally pretentious name. YachtCon was christened. Over the years, it's moved from a warehouse to a restaurant to a brewery, and then to an actual theater. We seriously considered going dark this year, but decided that it was worthwhile to keep the momentum going, and more importantly to raise money for a worthy charity at a time when their services are as important as ever. We knew that simply trying to take the live version online wasn't really going to translate. So we worked with some of our friends in the food and beverage industry to cook up, pardon the pun, some great stuff for you. We then added a few more creative and interview-based elements to round it out. YachtCon Back to School was officially in session. Although our paid spots are selling out quickly, I wanted to remind everyone that all courses are free to audit and I also wanted to give a plug to some of the courses for which we still have supplies. Adventures in watercoloring on March 24th and fashionable pizza making on March 26th. We're also selling opportunities to make Lickit, Aaron, and myself eat spicy hot wings and ask Garth some spicy questions during the How to Build a Dynasty course that serves as Yacht College's capstone project on March 28th. Visit sounderatheart.com slash yachtcon to get more details on all that. Uh, aside from serving as a personal ego boost, the main reason we're doing all this is to contribute to a much needed re resources to our charity partner, as we've done in the four previous visions of this, uh, this event, any proceeds from, uh, from this will be donated to the Seattle Children's Autism Center. In years past, they've used the money we raised to buy big red safety boxes, which are then given to families to help them better manage children with autism. While these are usually handed out in person, this year the Autism Center has incurred added fees due to shipping them, so the money is even more needed than normal. So far, we've raised more than $6,000 uh, this year alone and could feasibly equal the more than $10,000 we raised last year. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible donation to help reach that mark, you can do so by visiting give.seattlechildrens.org slash yachtcon. If that's a lot to remember, don't worry, we'll be sharing that link a lot during the next couple weeks. Uh, before we get started, I should also thank everyone who made this possible. Full Pull Wines, the doctor's office, and the masonry are the food-related businesses that donated supplies and whose owners are sharing their expertise and serving as our faculty. MLS Watercolors is sharing their creative talents and teaching their first-ever course. Once again, Emily Cummings worked countless hours before behind the scenes to help produce and make this event happen. Dave Clark also volunteered tons of time helping out as well as sharing his passion and teaching in a course. My Nos Adiatis partners, Aaron Campo and Lickett P, once again did a lot of the heavy lifting that won't necessarily be in front of the camera. Two old friends of mine from college, Colin Steiner and James Morgan, designed our poster and effectively served as our producers, respectively. Finally, Beth Mantle, Susie Rance, Tim Foss, and Jacob Cristobal have donated time as moderators, hosts, and or behind-the-scenes helpers. As usually, this has been a true team effort and would have literally been impossible if not for the volunteer work these people put in. If you're watching this and somehow don't know what else is going on, I highly recommend that you check out our course catalog. 
we'll have something going on virtually every other night between now and March 28th. And even though some of the classes are technically sold out of supplies, every class is available to audit for free. So let's get this thing started and get to the stuff that you came here for. Our first guest, just as he has been in each of the previous four years, is Sounders head coach Brian Smetzer. Entering his sixth season as Sounders FC head coach in his 20th straight season as part of this organization, Smetzer is one of the most accomplished coaches in American soccer history. He's the only coach to have won multiple league titles in both the USL and MLS, and the Sounders have been to the playoffs in all but one of his previous 19 seasons on the coaching staff. His MLS winning percentage of 608 is the best among coaches with at least 70 games of experience, and his 762 playoff winning percentage is easily the best in MLS history. He has two MLS Cups. He's been to four finals. You know, Brian, this all comes after a long, if not necessarily illustrious professional playing career that started when he signed as a teenager with the NASL Sanders out of Nathan Hale High School, stretched across at least six different leagues, and featured stops on just about every professional indoor and outdoor team the region has ever known. It is my extreme honor to introduce our first lecturer at Yacht College, the one and only Brian Schmetzer. Welcome, Brian. Let me oh. take myself off mute. Not yes. My, um, Woohoo! I was going to say, I hope Adrian was listening to the intro. Yes, I think I I sent him the notes. You can yeah yeah you can be my sub sub agent for the next time my contract comes up. Yeah, I mean, I really hope all those points got hit. Uh, but you're going to be around for a while. I mean, we, you're not going to have contract yeah. negotiations for years now, right? Yeah. Well, maybe if we win a couple more MLS Cups, I might renegotiate. You never know. There you go. I like that. I like that. So uh, I do. Wait, before you answer the question, no. say my career wasn't great. Is that what you just said? I said not necessarily illustrious, I think is what I said. Okay. All right. Okay. That's different. I mean, you You know what? I, I actually, I was not planning on starting here, but you bring it up. You have, I think I got it right. You've played in like virtually every iteration or coached on every iteration of a professional team in this area, indoor, outdoor. Just tell us about some of those indoor days. What was, I mean, I know you played with Preki when he was at the absolute height of his stardom. Uh, just start with a story about Preki or the indoor days. I mean, this is almost like we rehearsed this or something, Jeremiah. Right. I am so happy that you just started off by saying, hey, Brian, why don't you tell us a story about Preki? Because there is a running debate amongst the coaching staff right now at this moment. A, number one, who has the best left foot? Because Gonzo, myself, Preki, Jimmy, oh. uh, was he when he was here, he was right-footed. I think Tommy beats us all with his, with his right foot because – Tommy kicks balls at the goalkeepers every day, but there's that debate. But Jeremiah, there was a, there was a there was a social media post a while back from the San Diego Soccer's, and it was you know it had some reference to myself and the old days and in indoor soccer. And in that particular clip, there was a scene where Preki was playing for the Stars, and I was playing for the Soccer's, and. Preki had gone down and tried to score or something. And then I got the ball and I ran past him going the other way because he didn't defend. And, you know, I had a lot of joy bringing that clip up on the big screen of our coach's office, just me and Preki going at it. But my, but our debate 
is really, okay, what makes a good team? You know, to the, to the theme of the night, let's go to school here. Let's, let's talk tactics. Let's talk about how teams win. So Brecky has his version. I have mine. I'm about to teach you both, both sides of it. Too bad he's not here. He it's, could next time. Well, that would, that would take all night. Anyway, Brecky says he was the best player on the team because he scored a bunch of goals which might have been true because he scored a pile of goals in the indoor days. I mean, he was unbelievable. Uh, he scored a ton of goals for Tacoma, had a great career, you know, pushed him, remember, because he came to this country indoor player mm-hmm. and launched his outdoor career, which is pretty unheard of. So what I always tell Preki is I say, look, this is why I'm so tactically good and why I help the team because I knew that you – wouldn't play defense. You you just didn't want to play defense. You you wanted to score goals. And so I had to mark my guy over here. And then I also had to watch Precky's guy over here. So I was always defending for two people so that Precky could do his thing. And I did my thing, which was sacrifice for the good of the squad. And what is, okay, how do you win championships? Do you win it by good defense? Or do you win it by scoring more goals? I, I don't know. And Gonzo and Jimmy and Tommy, they all laugh at us because me and Preki argue like, you know, 12-year-old kids. But it's great. And, and the question's out there. Was I more important for my team because I marked Preki's guy and I allowed him to do what he wanted to do? Or was Preki better because I would just pass him the ball and he would score? I don't know. So your playing your playing careers though, you did you both play on the stars at one point? Yeah, and, and in St. Louis as well. Okay. And so what how 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 would you describe your relationship before he started coaching with you? I, you know, there was a logic to it when you thought about it at the time, but I like did, were you friends? Like how long does your relationship yeah. go back? What was your ongoing um, relationship like? Oh, we lived we, look, when we were in St. Louis, we lived in the same apartment complex. They were there for uh, Preki and Trisha, his wife. Trisha, great, great, wonderful person. Uh, <laughs> you know, they they were there at the birth of my youngest child, Kian. I uh, helped my ex-wife out there with, with babysitting and stuff like that, you know, because I had two kids already. Uh, you know, it went back all the way to the late 80s, early 90s. And so when he – you know, one of the things I've been – I've you've brought this up a few times and I, and I just don't know that it gets mentioned enough. You, you've surrounded yourself with maybe the most accomplished staff in all. I, I would think um, probably unquestionably the most accomplished staff in, in all of MLS. You have a, a, a former world cup player. You have a, a champions league winner. You have a former two time M- MLS MVP uh, yeah. who also was the uh, head coach of the year in MLS. Uh, Tommy Ducha obviously is, has coached some of the, the greats uh you you brought in uh, uh your physical your your top physical guy uh comes from you know has a great resume how important is it for you to surround yourself with people who are challenging you and and not just kind of letting you get away with being it being your way or the highway kind of thing well it's part of what makes any organization whether you're in pro sports or business or whatever if you are a leader 
of an organization or a department within a corporation or whatever, you always, as the manager of that of that group of that, you know, department, you want to surround yourself with the absolute best people, and then you want to encourage them to voice their opinion. It's a safe it's a safe work environment. You we can we can say whatever we need to say in that coach's office, and Jeremiah, there are times when it does become a bit challenging because, you know, look, they're all accomplished. They, they all could be head coaches and they might think, well, you know, I would do things different than Brian and, you know, this, that, and the other. I accept that. I have a strong enough backbone to know that, you know, when Gonzo says something passionately, Precky, Rick, you know, recalls one of his, you know, experiences from when he was a coach. I accept that. I listen to it. I ask myself, why did they say that? What are they driving at? What are they trying to say? And then we talk about it and we come to then a conclusion where, look, if it's majority and we decide this is the way to move forward, then we do it. But if there's a divided room, then, yeah, sometimes I have to come in and say, yeah, this is what we're going to do. But I can't talk enough about the staff. I mean, Tommy has been with me, you know, since 06, I believe, 05, uh, you know, sacrificed a lot when he first started the USL days. You know, was good friends with Keller, with Casey. That was a natural connection. Casey to come back. Casey, one of the greatest goalkeepers in, you know, American history. Uh, Tommy always worked out with him. Uh, Gonzo, Mexican national team player, tactically astute. Jimmy, like you said, a Champions League winner. I mean, only maybe Vieira and Thierry Henry. Well, he's not here anymore. Those two guys aren't here anymore. But, I mean, who else plays in a Champions League final that coaches him? You have Preki, who who had a tremendous playing career, but then was also an MLS Coach of the Year. So I don't have any issue. You, you brought up Adam Owen. I mean, he's a doctor. He's got a PhD. He's a lot smarter than I am. So I I, I love the staff. I think it's a great staff. I think it's a very efficient staff. Uh, we have uh, really great interactive meetings where we're always bouncing ideas off each other. So that part of it, I think I'm pretty smart in hiring good people. You know, it makes you better. It, it does push you. How does the work share among, you know, you, Preki, Gonzo, and Jimmy work? Like, is, is there, do they have defined roles or is it all just kind of like, you throw it into a, a, a cauldron and it all like turns into magic. We, we know it, sometimes it doesn't turn into magic, but <laughs> you know, so we try and be a little bit more specific. I mean, we had this idea a while back where, you know, where, you know, Jimmy would be the coach of the defenders or take most of that work and Gonzo would work with the midfielders. And then we had Ante Razov and Al Preki kind of work with the forwards and we still hold true to that structure, but I could flip it around again. If you, if, again, if we're going to school here, so Preki was a forward and he knew how to, you know, beat defenses or beat defenders one-on-one. -on -one. So he actually can reverse that and say, okay, if you needed to stop me, this is, these are the best defenders I played against in my career. And this is what they did. And so Jimmy can, you know, also doesn't want to be corralled as just a defensive coach because we're not NFL football. He wants to be a well-rounded, you know, coach of his own at some point. 
And so I, I let him do that with, with pleasure, Jimmy. If you want to take, if you want to take a exercise where the wingbacks are overlapping and you're working on their attacking movements and they're crossing the ball, so be it. You want to work with some of the young players and it's not just about defending it's possession oriented or something like that. I always encourage that. And, and, you know, Gonzo can, can do both as well. He can attack, he can, he can coach the attackers and, you know, he does a great job at it. And he can also talk about the defending tactics as well. So take us inside a game when you are, you know, I assume you, every, you know, the, the old saying, obviously everyone has a game plan until they get punched in the mouth. Right. And, I would imagine that's very true with soccer, where you you can draw the X and O's, you can you can come up and you you can plan for one thing, but the way the game plays out is oftentimes another. I, I imagine that's what halftime uh, changes are for, and halftime adjustments are for. But how much tactical cha- how much tactical influence can you have in a game, and how do the the coaches fit? How do the various coaches fit into that? Uh, another great question there. We have a little bit of structure as well. So Jimmy and Tommy Dutra actually go over all the set pieces with the guys to make sure that everyone from Raul back to Steph know their roles and responsibilities on set pieces. You know, Gonzo will take care of any final tactics. Once we get the lineup, Frecky works on players, building their confidence in the warmups, talking to them, pulling them aside, talking about that. So we kind of divide and conquer that way uh, a little bit. But Jeremy, look, I'm a big guy about, okay, setting your team up with a tactics or structure, but I truly believe that sports and sports in general, you're not always going to be able to impose your will on your opponent. That's just unrealistic. And so <clears throat> the players I like, like Christian, like Nico, Raul through sheer brilliance, uh, you know, Chad, you know, guys that can adapt, Zach Scott's back in the day. Uh, you know, there were a lot of guys that have played for this club that could solve problems because that's what happens. We can draw it up on the we can draw it up on the chalkboard. We can say, okay, this is what we expect, da 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 da. And then all of a sudden, for some odd reason, somebody's having an off day or the other team's just playing better than you and, and you've got to adjust, you gotta make those adjustments. So as we walk off, as we walk off at halftime, I've already scribbled my notes. You guys seen my little notepad there. I usually check in with the guys as I walk off, unless I'm of, of course upset at the first half, and then I'm just counting to a hundred just to calm down a little bit. Uh, but I like checking in with guys as we walk off the field. Uh, Ravi Ravameni, who I'm sure we're going to talk about later in the broadcast has clips. Jorge, our video guy, has clips. Guns will take a look at some of the clips. Tommy likes to sit with Steph about goal kicks, playing out from the back, certain things. And we compile information amongst all of the coaches, uh, verbal feedback and what we see on video. And then I pick the, you know, top two, maybe three attacking things I want to talk about. And then Defensively, maybe two, maybe three tops. And then I say my piece. And then the assistants, again, do their do the rest. I mean, then we'll take some guys and Jimmy will take some guys and Preki will take some guys. And they kind of filter out the rest of the information that we talked about. So I heard an interview with Bruce, uh, Bruce Arena a, a 
a while back where he, he talked about the importance of man management versus tactics. Uh, you know, you, you worked with Siggy a long time. He seemed to have a similar philosophy where it was less about X's and O's and more about philosophies and getting the players in the right positions. Um, and I, I kind of get the sense that's that's your perspective too. But what do you think people misunderstand about the job when it comes to balancing tactics versus balancing man management? Maybe it's a, a late game sub. You know, I, I know you've talked about sometimes you got to bring in Roman Torres in part to keep him engaged as much as it is to shore up the defense. Yeah, I, I can answer that a couple of different ways. Man management is obviously something that's that's critical. It's vital in pro sports. I mean, as the manager you have to deal with so many different aspects of the game that I don't think there's one, you know, maybe if you're Pep Guardiola, but I guess he's got a bunch of really super talented assistants to help him or, or, you know, or Klopp or, you know, someone like that, but you got to be able to do multitask, but you also rely on, on good assistants and, and good people. And, the tactics are the tactics, and some guys are, you know, Greg Berhalter, he had his tactics in Columbus, his tactics for the national team, and that's just a different way of doing things, Jeremiah. I don't think there's any right way or wrong way. It's just my way or Bruce's way or Greg's way or or Pep's way or Sir Alex Ferguson's way, you know, probably the best or, you know, well, most known man manager in, 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 in our sport. And, you know, for me, my personal philosophy is this. Yes, tactics are important. We always try and have some tactical structure uh, within the group at the beginning of the year, uh, you know, throughout the year based on different opponents. You know, who do we want to allow to have the ball on our opponents? You know, who do we want to make sure we're aware of? You always have those little tactical nuances in your game plan. But again, I'll, I'll throw a question out there to all the, the coaches and the teachers and the students out there. Let's just talk about maybe talking about man management in the sense of putting the best team out on the field. And here we go. So Victor Rodriguez, when he was here with, with Brad Smith, I mean, they were dynamite at the beginning of that year. I mean, they were, they were killing, they were killing teams. Victor would pick the ball up in the pocket. Brad would overlap it was fun to watch, super talented players. You know, we had Jordan on the right, Raul, Nico, Victor, Brad. It was it was great. Then you flip that around. Then you have Jordan and Nuhu. And what does that pair look like? And what are your tactics there? So I encourage Brad because of his profile, his positional profile. He could get up and down. He's fast. Victor coming inside, that was perfect. Now with Nuhu, more stay-at-home defender, and Jordan being out there one against one or being able to stretch the field, is that a tactic or is that just man management? Are we just managing your group and putting a certain pair together that you know gives you a better chance of winning the game, or is that a tactic? You could you could go to last year when we had bits and pieces of Christian Roldan out on the right wing. You know, Gustav JP in the middle. And then, you know, late in the year when Gustav was on international duty and all that, we slid Christian back in and JJ was there. JJ and Christian are polar opposites probably of, you know, how to play right midfield or right wing. And so there was a different tactic when JJ was there. His job was to 
come inside the pocket, get the ball on his left foot, try and get the ball in behind to Jordan. Christian, his tactics were, okay, he was really good at attacking the prime assist zone. And how do we play with Christian on that side of the field? And so, you know, from a tactical perspective, people might say, okay, the Sounders, they don't play a specific style. They don't have, you know, like Berhalter when he had a Columbus or Peter Vermes at Sporting Kansas City. You know, those guys are, they just do it differently than I do. And I, I'm a believer that you try and get the right mix of guys on the field. And, and look, it's not always necessarily the best 11 soccer players you have. That's the other part of man management. Maybe it's the best group of 11. And then, yes, Jeremiah, to your point, I got to tell Roman, hey, look, Roman, I'm, you know, I got you, Javi and, and Yaimar are playing pretty good. And, you know, we brought you back, but, you know, it, just tranquilo. You know, so it's it, it's always a bit of both. It's always man management and what is your vision for the team? Well, you know, I think sometimes the popular narrative is that you aren't necessarily a tactical coach. I don't think that's that's true. You seem to have actually embraced more of the tactical side of the game. I know you've uh, you've gotten advanced coaching licenses since you've become a head coach. Uh, how how has your knowledge and appreciation of the tactical side changed since you you've moved into this position? Well, again, it comes down to you know whatever my tactics were you know selective pressure like stepping up higher up the field like putting pressure higher up the field you know i'm a proponent of playing out of the back uh there are certain things perhaps signature pieces of ideas that i bring to the team and then again i allow people that are really good at their jobs to implement the ideas that i have case in point okay so how do we defend active defending. So when we are up in the opponent's half of the field, we always want our center backs and maybe, you know, in a back line of four, you know, one fullback to stay connected. You know, if the ball's on the left, then Kelvin Leardham would always stay connected to the two center backs. But the two center backs had to be aware of, you know, the center forward, but then also a player like Diego Valeri in kind of those half spaces because Portland was a transition team. And so whenever they're the ball would turn over. First guy they looked to was Valeri. And so we call that active defending. And so we, Jimmy, would drill those guys, make them watch film. And as we were attacking, the guys were already setting themselves up defensively to, to, to slow down the threat of any counterattacking movements. And so that, that little tactic of, of active defending, you know, that's what we implement but I let Jimmy do it. He, he, he's the one that does it playing out from the back. Gonzo was a possession based midfielder in his career. You know, where do you find the numerical overload starting with the goalkeeper? Your goalkeeper gives you an extra guy already. And then where do you find the little spaces? Where do you have the numerical advantage to advance the ball? Well, he does that better than I do. So here's the idea, Gonzo. I want to make sure that we don't just kick goal kicks down the field. So it's a 50, 50 ball and maybe we win it. Maybe we don't. I actually want to try and keep a hundred percent of possession. And how do we do that? You know, and then with Precky, it's another example. He's got a lot of ideas about how to attack in the final third. And I say, okay, well, I want Nico to play in the pockets. I want one center forward to stay high, depending on who we're, 
you know, who we have on the field. This guy has this quality over here, and, and this guy's a true winger. So, Preki, figure out a way how we can get them arranged in the right spots, you know, and off we go. So, I, I know a lot of people say tactics when they mean formations, but you guys do, you've talked a lot about changing uh, formations or at least introducing a, a new formation into the uh, regular rotation this year. Uh, what can you tell us about that and how is, how is that going? And I have to imagine there's some, something fun about that for you to be able to just try something new out at the, at the training field. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I can't see on my screen, Jeremiah. I don't know if M or Lickett or someone back. How many, how many people do we have on the broadcast now? A lot, a, a thousand. <laughs> about a hundred. Okay. Let's, let's keep that thousand people in the circle of trust. Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to give away a little bit of information here, but let's keep it in the circle of trust here. So again, we go back to, you know, uh, you know, after the final and, you know, we're trying to recover. We're trying to lick our wounds a little bit. We're already starting about what's, you know, what can we do different? Uh, Four and a half years of four, two, three, one, you know, can we get Will on the field a little bit more because, you know, he's a goal scorer and, you know, can we do this, this and this. And so that conversation started to take place already after, after the loss in MLS cup, then Jordan goes on loan, Jordan goes on loan and it's like, okay, well, that's a pretty big piece missing piece. And you know, Gustav goes and, you know, Christian's coming inside. And so we got to fill that hole on both wings. JJ's gone. So there's another midfielder slash winger gone. Now you could say, does Ethan come in? Is that his chance to shine AOC, you know, whoever, but okay, let's start seriously talking about a different formation with two forwards. Now you can play four diamond two, or you could play, you know, three, five, two but it's always with two different two forwards, get Raul and Will on the field. So we started to talk about that. And then Jordan's injury, because there was still some hope that, you know, at the end of the, you know, at the end of the summer loan, maybe Jordan comes back to us. There was some uncertainty there. And maybe it's just a, maybe it's just a temporary new look for us. And we always can go back to four, two, three, one. But when he goes down with the injury, we're starting to think to ourselves, okay, well, this is real. I mean, we really don't have our most dangerous winging, wide player, winger, whatever you want to call Jordan Morris. We don't have him anymore. He's gone for the entire year. And so now we have to make real some real adjustments. So uh, we are seriously, Jeremiah, talking about playing in a system with two forwards. You know, we've tried three at the back. We'll we'll try four four two diamond. We'll we'll try and figure out a way what works best. But we are committing during this preseason to figure out a way how to get Will Bruin on the field with Raul, and then and then the feel good story of Freddie Montero. And so here you go. Now I have another super talented player that wants to come back to his home team. This is going to be his home for the, you know, for the foreseeable future. And 
you know, that puts a smile on my face. So now I have options. If Raul has to go to World Cup qualifiers, well, I got Freddie Montero. That's great. I can go three for two and there'll be midweek games. And and it just makes sense to me to play with, with two forwards when you have that group of players on your roster. So we are working out the kinks, Jeremiah. We're, we're trying to figure out the best way to implement that. But, you know, there's there's pluses with, with you know, three at the back. We call it three five two. We have good wing backs in Brad Smith can play wing back, you know, Kellen Rowe, Alex has played, you know, he could play wing back. Uh, if we stay with four, you know, you'd have, you know, JP, Christian, Madranda, Nico, and a diamond shaped midfield. I mean, that would be pretty powerful. Madranda's been pretty good in preseason. So we'll kind of see what, how it all shakes out, but that's the objective to try and get, you know, a couple of forwards on the field because we lost, you guys know better than me, but Jordan got what, twelve goals and nine assists, or you know whatever that was. I mean, that's a lot of production. Yeah, and we got to try and we have to try and you know make up for that. So you know, you mentioned Freddie Montero being back. I, on a personal level, I'm sure that must have been exciting. He seemed genuinely excited. Uh, but w- what have you seen? What have you seen from him out at training? And how do you imagine him working with Nico and Raul? And, you know, in some ways I was thinking he's never had in his, certainly in his time in MLS, never had this much talent around. him. Yeah. Well, uh, I had a couple cups of coffee with Freddie at Santos coffee down on Roosevelt. Uh, thank you, Freddie, for that little, you know, blurb there. Uh, we had coffee. The coffee's good, really good. Um, and we talked because this was, again, Jeremiah, this was before Jordan, Jordan's injury. And so Jordan was on loan. Freddie wanted to come back. I think his time with the Whitecaps was over, you know, and he wanted to come back. His, his, his wife, they wanted to start their, you know, building a house and, you know, start their life after soccer. But he also wanted to play. He's still very competitive, ultra competitive. And so I had to just outline some expectations. I, I looked at him and I said, Freddie, look, I mean, what if we're playing in 4-2-3-1 and we're playing with one forward and Raul's the starter and Will's the first backup and you might not play? He goes, Coach, don't worry. I'll work hard. I'm going to get you to make me get on the field. So I said, okay, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to make sure that, you know, okay, Freddie. So when I am busting your, you know what, your butt in training, are you going to do all the work? And are you fully committed to the squad? This is, this is the message. It's your team. It's not my team, not Adrian Hanauer's team, not Gar's team. It's the player's team. They're the ones that do all the hard work throughout the entire season and that's the message I gave to Freddie. And he, he was in, Jeremiah. He was in 100%. And I, and I believe Freddie. I, I think he wants to end his career here. I think he wants to have a chance. I mean, you mentioned, I can't say that the Whitecaps are terrible, but you said that. Um, no, I mean, I mean, you know, he wants to end his career on a, on a, on a good note. And does it seem, does, is there a, 
I don't know, like an unfinished business sense to that? Or is that like, I don't know, what was, is that, is that a thing that drives him still, you think? Yeah, for sure. He's competitive. He's always been competitive. He's he's always been a competitive guy. I mean, you look at his career, he's had success at many different levels. So, you know, he's, he's been really good so far. So good. Um, I don't expect any problems. Happy to be here. Happy to be home in Seattle. Uh, It's a great story. I hope it bears a lot of fruit. I hope there's a lot of goals in there and good storylines because it couldn't happen to a nicer young man. He's a young man now. He's not a kid anymore, you know, since we met him, you know, back in Columbia up in the high-rise apartment of the owner of the team and me, Adrian, and Chris Henderson, and we're in the middle of Columbia somewhere. I don't know where it was, Jeremiah, but I remember there's Freddie over in the corner, very quiet, you know, 20-year-old kid, didn't say much while all the other guys were, you know, talking business and getting ready to come to the Seattle Sounders. So one of the other things that's I think kind of defined this offseason is – You've brought in, you know, you brought in Freddie, but you've also brought in uh, a Spencer Ritchie. You brought in Kellen Rowe. You've brought in a lot of guys that have genuine ties to the Seattle area. Not to speak even of all these academy kids, there has to be something like in your heart that just loves seeing players either returning here or that are from here who. You know, like Spencer and, and Kellen have yeah. said they've always wanted to play for the Sounders. I, I truly believe that people from the Northwest, you can read The Boys in the Boat or many other stories about athletes coming from this part of the world. Uh, we are resilient. I, I, I truly believe that. Look, Spencer Ritchie came back from a very severe, broken, tib-fib. Uh, Kellen has, you know, had a good career He's a good pro. He's done lots of good things. He always has been a competitor on the field. Every time we've played against him, you know, he's the tattoo of the skyline and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's, it's nice to have those people with Pacific Northwest roots here because I think they get it. I think they understand. I think they have it in their DNA that we are a resilient you know, group of people up here in the Northwest. So we're tough kids. We're tough kids. There you we'll go. Throw that in there. We no. are tough kids. And I'll tell you, can I break in before you end? Can I tell a tough kid story? Please. Okay. So and I talk about a young kid, a young player, a young Academy kid, uh, Josh Atencio. So Josh was at training. We're playing a little 6v6. This was yesterday. You know, we're playing 6v6, like two-minute games. And so he steals a ball, wins a ball. I think it was actually Freddie Montero. I think Freddie Montero cleated him on the shin. It was a hard tackle because the guys are competitive, right? So Freddie comes in, straight legs, Josh. Josh is in pain, but he follows through on the play. He keeps going. He keeps going forward, and he and he's starts to stumble, but he finds the next pass and somebody shoots on goal and the ball goes out and Josh ends up on the ground, on the floor. And he is in absolute agony. He is in pain. And I'm sitting there refereeing the game and I'm going, should I blow the whistle? Should I call the trainers on the field? Should I? No, I'm going to let this go. And so the kid is on the ground. 
picks himself up. He's limping profusely, but he gets up, gets back to his position, finishes out the last 30 seconds of that particular segment of our training session, goes off the field. The trainers look at him. He's got a gash, Jeremiah, two to three inch gash. He had like 12 stitches in his shin. The kid is a tough kid. That That is the epitome of a tough kid right there. Zach Scott was looking down and very, very proud, I'm sure. Uh, well, Zach, look, Zach played with a broken bone in his foot. It, you know, Josh has a ways to go, but, you know, same, same, same idea. So uh, another person who kind of came up from within the community, not necessarily from here, but he came up from the Seattle community uh, and has now risen to being one of the, the top analysts in, in all of MLS, Robbie uh, Ramenini. I, I hope I didn't totally. Ramenini. Ramenini. Yeah. He, uh, he, he also seems to have uh, been able to take a place in this organization um, and you mentioned him. You mentioned him earlier. What what does he br- what does he bring, and and what can you tell us about him? Yeah. So, look, analytics in pro sports is critical. It's vital, and we have two people that are, you know, kind of nerdy in some sense. Adrian and Garth. They love all the statistics and the data and all that sort of stuff. You know, and even an old time guy like myself. I understand the importance of the job that Ravi does for the team. And he's such a humble guy, Jeremiah. I mean, he's, he's got an Instagram account for his dog. Uh, his <laughs> wife, Sarah is really great. You know, he was remodeling his home in South Seattle and they planted a garden and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And he is a really great, humble guy, Villarreal fan. And former SB nation blogger not- about Villarreal, by the way. Yes, yes. I, I, I think I knew that or I heard that from someone. But anyway, so Rob, he's this nice, humble guy. And so I couldn't help the other day poking a little fun at him, you know, because we're having a coaches meeting. And sometimes he joins the coaches meetings just because I ask him about he's also the salary cap guru. You know, he took that over when Kurt Schmidt left for Miami. So he's good with numbers, Microsoft guy. So here's Ravi humble individuals, got an important role in the club, and they promoted him. And so we're having this coaches meeting. Robbie doesn't know what's about to happen to him. And as all of us are sitting there, Robbie comes into the room and I tell the coaching staff, I go, gentlemen, please stand up and welcome the new vice president of data analytics for the Seattle freaking Sounders, Ravi Rava many and we all clapped and cheered and his face turned beat red. I mean, he was so embarrassed, but I mean, he's a great guy and he fills a vital role for the club. Well, uh, do you know the name of the dog's uh, Instagram account? Because I'm sure people are going to be looking uh, to follow. I have to look at my phone over here, Jeremiah. I can put it out there. You know, yeah, okay. we'll put it in the show uh, notes. As out, they say, yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. But you know, Robbie, it, 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 let me give you an example because you asked me the question, "What does he do?" Yeah, and it's not there just for us to poke fun at him. I mean, he actually has a job. Um, so. Uh, look, when we were looking at Joe Paulo and Gregory was a target for us last summer. So Garth would say, okay, Ravi, I need a deep dive on 
you know, JP and Gregory and compare them to Ozzy in his prime and compare him to Kyle Beckerman in his prime and, and, you know, and how do they pair up against, you know, former, you know, MLS or current form, former MLS, uh, you know, number sixes. And so Robbie does that and he has these X axis, the Y axis. Are they good in defending? Where do they plot out on the charts? You know, what's their, you know, uh, defending actions per game. I mean, he really does a lot of good work that is a valuable tool again for us because again, the old school guy, what do my eyes tell me? That's what we're asking ourselves. And then it's always handy to have the data to kind of back up, you know, what we see. Well, we got some questions from our audience that I wanted to, you know, before we, before we let you go, I wanted to ask, get, get a few of these questions asked to you. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. Let's go. Aaron, what you got? Yeah. So the first one is from Dave Clark, uh, our, our dear friend, Dave Clark. Um, Coach, what do you like about Wade Weber taking another step up in his career? Uh, he's just like me, old school. He loves tough kids. He's going to, He's going to work those kids. He's going to get them to be better. And you know what? He's a teacher. He's actually, he has been in the teaching profession. So look, there's a lot of good soccer players out there that had talented careers and all of that sort of stuff. But how do you get the ideas from your head and your own playing experiences into the head of Reed or, you know, AOC or, you know, or, you know, any of the young kids down at Defiance, you know, Sota, how those, you know, Cody Baker, how are you going to get those ideas into those guys' heads? So I actually think he does really well with that. I've listened to him talk. He's, he's, he was in the uh, preseason meetings with us as a coaching staff socially, you know, six foot apart, mass, open area. We were very safe, um, but he was involved in some of our meetings, and I like, I, I like what I heard. Yeah, I think I, I made this comment that I think he's probably the only prof- USL or MLS coach who also taught IB history in high school. Yeah, there you go. All right. So the next question is from Jerry Neal. Um, how big of a role does analytics play in making our team as good as it is? Yeah. Well, I, I told you about Ravi. Um, you know, we have we, look. We have every every fancy tool there is to measure. You know, total distance, uh, high speed running, sprint distance, axles, cells, D cells, change mode. We do all of that real time. And so I'll give you two stories. I'll give you one good one and then one kind of common sense or old school one. And, you know, so the guys that are doing all that work, we have targets every day, every training session we have planned. Okay. We want to get seven and a half kilometers of total distance. We want the goal for the average of the squad to be 300 meters of high speed running. We want the sprint distance on this particular day to be lower you know, we don't want them to sprint today because just it's it's the in the periodization of the week. And so we have a live uh, feed of all the players and their GPS units. And so we will go and Ash, our, our Ash Mead, our, our data analysis guy on the field, 
can take an iPad and we can say, okay, so-and-so is going above that, you know, high speed running 300 meter limit. So we might curtail him or put a sub in or whatever, or conversely, if somebody's not doing the work, then we would take them after that particular training session and do some sprints with him so that they reach the appropriate amount of loading for that particular player. And it also varies. It also varies on position because look, center backs don't sprint as much as outside backs and they don't run as far a distance as midfielders. So we have those metrics as well. And so by, by position, by average, by, you know, the particular day, we have very specific marks of, you know, what we want to get accomplished out of training. And that helps us train smarter and better so that at the end of the week, guys aren't overloaded and we reduce injury. Now, the one good story about that is we had, an, we had a training session the other day, and I think it was Friday, and we we're going to give them the weekend off. And, you know, our goal was for, I think it was for 7.5K for that particular session. And there was a young kid that busted through the roof. It was like he went to 95, 9.5 kilometers, which, look, in a nine-minute game, Nico Ladero runs 13K plus. Christian's at like 12.5. He's right below him. But Nico and those guys, those guys are off the charts as far as their athletic ability is concerned. So this young player in a training session was at 95 or 9.5 or 9.8. And the fitness guys were like going, Hey, Brian, you you, you gotta, you gotta like, you gotta like slow him down. And I'm like going, I can't slow that kid down because that kid wants to make the team. He wants to show the coach that he deserves to be on the field. And so how do you manage that situation? I'm not going to tell the kid, Oh, you know what? You you can't work hard because it's not allowed. I actually say the exact opposite. I say you you young kids better be the hardest working kids on the field because that's just the way the Sounders are. That's what we do. You kids have to earn your right to play on the team. So interesting dynamic there with the whole data collection and everything, but it still comes down to a personal level. Again, I use the data in hopefully a positive way to kind of, you know, you're either poking the guys to do a little more or sometimes with the senior players, you got to make sure they're doing the appropriate amount of work. And that's actually a great segue into the next question, which comes from Trent. Um, how, how do you balance youth development and the need to get, you know, kids playing time with um, maintaining a competitive squad and a veteran squad? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, it, that's, Look, that's the $50 million question, right? I mean, look, you saw the transfer fees for for Aronson, you know, DK, the, the kid from Orlando. There was a rumor out there of $10 million. You know, uh, Vancouver sold uh, Davies for whatever it was, $18 million, $20 million. I mean, that's, those, are, those are big numbers, right? So – what our players have to do and what we discuss as a group, as a staff, is that, you know, the players have to earn their way up on the squad. Sounders have been notoriously hard to break into because, look, we spend a lot of money on our team. And, you know, how is a young player going to be 
integrated into a group where that group is full of senior players that are making a lot of money. Case in point. I mean, case in point. Jordan Morris, remember in 2016, he had had that little taste of the national team. But we, at the beginning of that year, in that preseason, when Zig was there, we had Oba, we had Nelson, we had Jordan. And, you know, it was like, and we had Clint. I mean, how is Jordan Morris, fresh out of college, going to play in front of Nelson Valdez, Oba, and Clint? I mean, challenging. And then Oba went to China, and that opened the door, that kind of opened the door. DeAndre Yedlin. How did that happen? We had, we had Adam Johansson, sometime captain of the Swedish national team. But how did, how did DeAndre get his chance to be the starting right back for our team? Well, beginning of that preseason, Adam had a little bit of a pulled muscle, and Ziggy was you know, going to play the veteran guy, but an injury, and then DeAndre comes in, lights it up, and all of a sudden he's playing in Europe now. You know, Christian, kudos to Christian because he was a kid that came, kind of came out of nowhere, the young player, down the spine of the team where we normally spend a lot of money. But he was able to do it, accomplish it. So it's not easy. It, it's not easy, but it can happen. And, you know, there's a crop of young kids that are hungry. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. Right. Uh, so the next question is from Susie Rance. Uh, has the club thought any differently about mental health resources and analytics for players in the last few years, and really particularly since the start of the pandemic, I think, as well? Um, look, we have talked about psychologists, sports psychologists, all that sort of stuff. You know, the pandemic, how does that affect young players? You know, we have kids that are homeschooled. They, we, we bring them with host families and stuff like that. I think that's something that we will look for in the future. But right now it's a very, you know, kind of limited. I mean, you know, the psychologists are the coaches really. I mean, you know, we've all had kids, older kids, I've had older kids and, you know, the, the peer pressure within the group, the senior players kind of help the young guys. So it's kind of by committee, but not really, not don't have a, you know, team psychologist or anything like that. Uh, next one is from Taylor Wimberly. Um, just back to the sort of the tactical talk, I guess. Um, if a three-five-two is the preferred formation, uh, how do you handle depth at center back? Well, again, we're in the cone of silence. Cone of silence here. <laughs> um, Nuhu has looked pretty good as the left-sided center back in a back line of three. So he's his physical characteristics are there. Uh, the young kid Sissoko from Defiance has looked pretty good. Um, you know, we'll we'll of course miss some players for international duty in the summertime, so that might lead us to a couple games back to a four-two-three-one. So we're still working on that. All right, a couple more questions. The next one, I think, the most important question: What is your favorite pen for note taking? Uh, I don't know if I have a favorite pen. But I know my wife doesn't like when I click my pen during my interviews. She always trying to coach me up and make sure that I'm not clicking my pen. So this particular pen right here, I can't click. It's just <laughs> got a cap. It's got a cap and I have to close it. And the last question is from Hope. Uh, what is your favorite moment as a sounder, as a player, a coach, fan, any of it? 
Hope, thank you for ending this session on such a such a softball question. I mean, who can forget the joy of 70,000 people in and around the stadium, the entire Pacific Northwest, the city of Seattle, the pride we all felt. I mean, hosting MLS Cup is by far the easiest and best answer to that question. That was such a great afternoon on so many different levels. I think the people in the Rome end zone, you guys deserve that. The people that started with us in 09, they deserved it. The people back in the USL days that came to Starfire, you guys deserve that. The people way back in Memorial Stadium, watching Dave Gillett, Pepe Fernandez, Jimmy Gabriel, you know, all of those led, all of you people deserve that moment in our history. That, that to me was absolutely the best uh, moment in, you know, Sounders history. Well, I got two questions for you that I'm going to try to pose these to almost everybody that comes on, and then we're going to let you get out of here. Uh, the first one is what do you think you've learned about either yourself, the team, your philosophy? What have you learned in the last year uh, with everything the way that it was? You mean from a soccer perspective or just in general and life? Whatever, you know, take it wherever you want. Like if you, it doesn't have to be soccer. It can be anything you want. Yeah, I would. The reason why I asked that that follow up question, Jeremiah, because look, our country has been splintered. You know, I'm a firm believer in the environment, global warming, all of that. We, you know, there's 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 you know, there's so many things that that we need to try and fix. You know, and and I made a pledge for my New Year's resolution just to be nicer to people, maybe bridge a gap between people that don't say that, see things the same way as I do. I'm firmly committed to, you know, saving the environment. You know, we, we had grandbabies come into our lives in the last year and a half, and we have another one on the way. And I am so uh, fired up about, you know, having these young people come in and, you know, providing for them and teaching them and watching them grow up. Our kids are great. And, you know, just making sure that they have a good life in a, in a, stable planet and in, in something that, you know, that we might all take for granted, but it's something that's happening very rapidly and we need to address those issues, you know? And so COVID, you know, was just almost the icing on the cake. I mean, the political stuff, the environment, then you have COVID. I mean, it was a triple whammy and it just makes you reflect on how thankful you need to be to, you know, have a, nice life and a wife and plenty good, plenty good moments in your soccer career and your job. And, you know, your, your kids are safe. Your, your dog is doing well. Simba's great. And, you know, you get to enjoy a, you know, a glass of Washington red wine. I mean, I appreciate all the small moments that, that, that I have that I can, you know, afford to, to take in. And, you know, from a soccer perspective, Jeremiah, I think what happened was, you know, with the whole, you know, lost, uh, you know, the last game certainly was disappointing. You know, it was such a bitter disappointment for us. And, you know, the whole contract negotiation that that kind of labored on and, you know, look, I'm not a greedy guy and, you know, could we 
take care of the assistants and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Again, it just makes me appreciate my job. You know, I have a great job. This is a great community. And, you know, I'm very thankful that I'm part of the Seattle Sounders. So the, the last thing I want to close on is if you were designing a yacht college, for instance, what's the course you would want to make sure we had? And who's the, get, who's the teacher you'd want to make sure is teaching it? Uh, I mean, I could poke fun at Ravi and he could, you know, make me smarter. Uh, there's certainly guys that are more organized than I am, you know, you know, there's super meticulous guys. Um, uh, you know, you, you might've stumped me there, Jeremiah. I mean, I could, I could figure out how, you know, I could figure out how to be a better broadcaster in case I get fired. I might have to take over Taylor. <laughs> Might have to take over Taylor Twelman's job, you know, figure out how to be a national icon on ESPN or, you know, God forbid, God forbid, Jeremiah, I needed to become Alexi Lawless and be some controversial, Ooh. you know, maybe, maybe he could teach me a few things about broadcasting. I don't know. I don't know. Well, uh, that's a good note to end this on. Uh, so thank you so much, Brian, for giving us your time, for doing this, for being opening up Yacht College in a way that, uh, you know, we would have hoped and dreamed. And, you know, I, I really do want to thank you for the bottom of my heart. It's been great having you as a part of, uh, of the Yacht Con's past in this one and, and hope we, we have a few more in us too. So. Uh, well, congrats to you, Jeremiah. The idea, the whole thing, it, it, it's a great event. You know, it's a good cause. It gets all the soccer people together. So kudos to you. Well, thank you. Uh, and that's a good, a good plug, a good transition into if you liked what you saw today, we got basically two weeks of courses lined up. Uh, go to Sounder at Heart slash YachtCon. You can see all the, all the courses that we're offering. It's going to be... A lot of fun, I think, for the next couple of weeks. Uh, we got a bunch of your players that are going to be coming on, doing wine tasting, mixing cocktails. It's going to be a lot it. of fun. Wait a second. What did you say? Uh, uh, no. Who's mixing cocktails? Oh, uh, I, I, I mean, I don't. Uh, I, okay. All right. <laughs> I think they'll be drinking mocktails. Okay. Mocktails. There you yes. go. Yeah. That's better because I'll be watching. You know, I pay attention. Of course. I, I know. To I know. Media. Yeah. I know. All right. Well, uh, I I guess we'll we'll sign off on that on that note. Uh, remember, you'll never yacht alone. <laughs>